This podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme and is brought to you with the support of BPI France. You're listening to the Fintech Podcast, the show that goes deep into the stories, the successes and failures that went into creating some of the world's most fantastic fintechs. Gotkin, and in this episode, how having investors from day one helped wealth management platform Elinvar get off to a flying start, and why co-founder and CEO Chris Bartz says that doesn't mean there was any less pressure. The benefit definitely is on day one already, for example, you pay yourself a salary. So it's helpful that there is a salary, uh, whereas um, um, other founders who really do the traditional bootstrap way. On the other hand, um, if you take institutional money on day one, basically just based on the PowerPoint already, it always also comes with the responsibility that you have to manage this money accordingly and that obviously um, on day one you already have another stakeholder on the table with the respective, um, with certain um, expectations and rightfully so because they invested millions of euros already Um, and that uh, comes with a different kind of pressure. So therefore I would say everything has pros and cons. Chris Bartz, co-founder and CEO of Elinvar. Thanks so much for joining me on the FN Tech podcast. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for the invite. And how are things where you are? I think it's a, a rather dull grey day in Berlin where you are, I think. Well, it depends. So I would say for Berlin, uh, overall circumstances, it's quite good weather. At least it's not rainy. So let's see, looking forward to some sunny autumn. Right. Well, it's good to see things uh, with a glass half full attitude. Um, so tell us about Elinvar. Yeah, Elinvar is a wealth tech platform as a service. So in the end, we provide uh, the core technology for ev- everyone who wants to uh, offer a DPM solution or an advisory solution in the private banking wealth management space for their clients. Uh, we support this business end to end and our platform on the one hand is the key orchestrator for all services you need. Then on the other hand, we have some service packages Uh, we provide ourselves for core functionality like portfolio management, like the onboarding of new clients, like invoicing, reporting and others. And then we support third party uh, service packages like, for example, connectivity to, to custodian banks or also um, strategies, uh, research, some other services you might need from others like market data uh, or also KYC processes. And in the end, the core idea is that the private banker or like an independent DPM or universal bank in their private banking space could use our platform comparable to the setup when you and I use our smartphone. We have the operating system, so the Elinvar platform, and then you have some services which you might directly use, for example, if you're using Apple from Apple directly, like the service packages we provide directly. And then, then there are some services you uh, want to use from third parties. That's exactly what we do as well. And in the end, the core idea is really connecting the wealth tech ecosystem and allowing everyone to, to, to be very, very efficient in executing their business model. So if I can put it this way, it's kind of the less sexy bits of wealth management, you know, that you're the kind of picks and shovels rather than looking after the gold and like, investing the money kind of thing. Actually, we are also investing the money, but the, the, I would more phrase it like we provide the infrastructure and we deeply believe in the benefit of core competencies. We focus on the tech part and then our users, the private banks, the DPMs, 
and others focus on the actually portfolio management and the client advice and their core competency bringing in the relationships and the expertise of 20, 30 or sometimes also hundreds of years of investment expertise. Okay. Now, uh, although I got an A grade at my uh, A-level chemistry, I, I never came across Elinvar, which, uh, as I now learn, is an ally, alloy of iron, nickel and chromium and a few other things thrown in for good measure. Uh, why did you go for that name? Um, so, two, two reasons. The, one, uh, the first reason is um, we clearly wanted to go for a B2B brand and we liked the idea. Elinvar, back when it was invented in 1890s, 19, 1895, Roughly, um, it started a very successful track as being the core alloy used by high-end precision instrument makers, especially watchmakers, so Swiss watchmakers. And every Swiss watchmaker in the end was using Elinvar. So Elinvar was helping all of them to improve their offering. And that's something we want to uh, do as well. So we want to help all the wealth managers, all the private banks, all the DPMs improve their offering. Um, and at the same time, we are in the background. So our goal is to be really the B2B part in the background. That's something we liked. And at the same time, Elinvar from day one, so the original alloy, stands for very, very high quality. So the inventor in the end uh, received the Nobel Prize. So we think about ourselves also as uh, something quite new with a very high um, uh, um, benchmark when it comes to the uh, goals we set for ourselves and the precision we want to execute to and also the reliability what we want to execute with. So we saw, thought there is a lot of comparison and then in the end we also like the name and it comes with some benefit when it comes to SEO optimization. So today if you Google it in Europe, I would say the first two to three pages are basically about us. Very good. Uh, so no high scoring Scrabble letters um, as we've had uh, recently with Wacam and uh, a couple of others on the, on the show. Uh, can you share some of the clients? You mentioned private banks and other customers. Can you share any of the, the names that, uh, that you're working with? Yeah, some typical examples would be uh, players like Warburg who have been our first larger clients, uh, one of the oldest private banks in Germany. Another uh, well-known private bank is Donner Reusche, who use us for a significant part of their core business. Um, just recently, DKB, one of the two largest online banks, um, went live um, and uh, with a new offering, which they execute together with DJE, the second largest independent uh, DPM in Germany. And also for this corporation, our platform is the core backbone and everything is executed on our platform. So the core idea is really that we enable large private banks, uh, large DPMs, so independent wealth managers, but also universal banks and their private banking part. So, for example, uh, one um, this year, one Volksbank um, got, uh, went live uh, using us for their DPM business. Um, and as you might know, in uh, Germany, the Volksbank Group is one of the largest banking groups. Uh, so this is a very good example for a universal bank focusing on retail business, but then also having a private banking unit, and this unit then use, uses LNY as a core IT. Okay. And I think you raised, is it 25 million euros uh, at the beginning of this year? More to come? Um, so t we raised at the beginning of this year 25, yes, and uh, in total now roughly 50 million. Um, I would say, yes, at some point in the future, very likely, but not for the for, uh, the current moment. 
And you've got a pretty impressive roll call of investors. Uh, I know they include Finley, but we'll come back to them in, in just a second. But you've got Goldman Sachs, uh, I think Tosca Fund as well. H- how do you get these kind of, um, you know, uh, venerable institutions uh, on board? So um, our first two institutional investors have been Philippe and Ampega. So Ampega um, is actually even better known uh, with regard to Talanx, the insurance group they belong to. And Ampega is the asset management arm. Um, and uh, these two were very much involved from, the day, from day one when we came up with the whole idea. Um, when we then did our uh, next larger round, we basically were looking for an investor uh, with a very strong reputation in the financial industry. Um, because of our B2B focus and that's uh, how we came up with Goldman um, and basically um, saw them as a great uh, reference point for us because everybody in the industry knows uh, their reputation and that they are really looking at businesses um, very, very intensely before investing and we were the second investment in Germany Um, and uh, on the other hand um, then when we uh, looked at Tosca, uh, when we um, um, won Tosca, for us the key goal there was to find a partner who helps us accelerating growth and really can go over multiple rounds. And that's something where we feel uh, Tosca is a great partner for us. And that's uh, the partner who joined with the beginning of this year. And we've seen some crazy valuations uh, coming about in the world of fintech uh, which is really on fire right now Uh, i know you're not probably going to tell me what your valuation is and and i'm sure if you did it would be spot on Mm -hmm. but uh what do you make of some of the valuations you see in the tens of billions of dollars for some of these neobanks or klarna or or things like that i would fully agree so uh, i think uh, especially during the last months we saw some valuations which are quite surprising um, and I think it's uh, on the, uh, there are two, uh, two uh, ways of looking at this. On the one hand, it's obviously a good time uh, for a lot of businesses to raise money, especially if you're one of these hype sectors, if you like. So at the moment, definitely everything around crypto, for example, uh, their valuations are significantly higher than in other areas. That's obviously interesting for companies who are in that area to raise money. On the other hand, I think we all also need to be careful because... Um, in the end, when you have very high valuations, you also have to uh, be consistent in your story in later rounds and uh, also with regard to potential exits. And then the question is whether the hype is still the same. So therefore, I always feel that this is uh, like, it, in German you would say Schwert. Uh, so you can actually, there's like upside and downside to that. Obviously, it's interesting to raise the money, but also you put a lot of pressure on your own equity story uh, for future developments and future rounds. So let's see whether this is in the end paying off for everyone. Right. So sometimes I guess it's better to take less and there's uh, maybe lower expectations and also lower dilution of, uh, of kind of existing uh, uh, shareholders. I mean, one of the other things going on right now, you know, there's a lot of buzz around sustainable finance, about diversity and, and things like that. What is... Um, What's Elinvar's uh, stance or involvement in, in these kind of two trends? Yeah, uh, let's start with sustainability. I personally think that the financial industry as a whole is going to be the key catalyst uh, for sustainability and the shift of the whole um, econ- economy uh, to, uh, towards more sustainable business models. And I think that's actually a great opportunity because in the end, uh, one of the biggest motivating factors for every business is how they are financed both equity or, um, or debt. 
And uh, obviously in this area, the financial industry is a core catalyst. So when ESG criteria becomes important for any financing decision, then it becomes important also for every business who wants to have finance. So therefore, I do expect a lot there. When it comes to our own business at the moment, uh, we are looking at um, ESG topics in three areas. On the one hand, we look at um, the goals we set for ourselves. So basically what we, want, uh, what we want to achieve for ourselves in the context of sustainability. The second uh, part is we look at um, how can we help our users, so basically the private banks, the universal banks, for, uh, be compliant with their own goals and help them to differentiate themselves. And uh, thirdly, we look at interesting third-party providers, for example, in the context of ESG research providers who um, help our clients um, gain a competitive edge there. Because um, in the end, as mentioned at the beginning, Ellenva is about connecting the ecosystem. And I do expect that there are also interesting uh, third-party providers coming up. And then it's obviously interesting for us to connect to these so that all of our users can use their respective service. So therefore, again, our own goals, then how can we support our partners directly and then what are interesting third parties. That's on the part of ESG. And when it comes to diversity, personally, um, for me, to be honest, one of the most frustrating factors in our own development is that uh, our share of female leadership is still as low as it is today. So I hope that we can improve that uh, further in the future. Um, and for example, in our top level in the OPCO at the moment, we unfortunately don't have any female colleague there. I hope that this is going to change in the near future. But uh, in the meantime, I'd, uh, we try our best to increase the share of uh, female leadership on the director level and on the team lead level, because I think it's super, super important to have a very diverse uh, team, not only when it comes to female male, but also when it comes to international backgrounds and when it comes to the different perspectives everybody brings to the table. But starting with the share of female colleagues, that's something I definitely hope that we can improve there as a company, and we are working on that quite actively. If there's any female candidate out there interested in doing something else, super happy if you write me, because we are definitely looking for strong female colleagues. Okay, uh, we'll take our recruitment commission uh, at the same time, Chris. But uh, no, Chris, we'll come back to your story in, in just a moment because I just need to remind our listeners that this podcast is part of the Paris FinTech Forum Communities Programme for 2021. And in this special pandemic period, you can enjoy throughout the year top-level live sessions with key industry players, exclusive on-demand interviews such as this one, and use our innovative digital networking capabilities to meet your peers, develop your network, create new business opportunities, and continue to build together the future of the fin and tech industry. And you can find out more at w www.parisfintechforum.com. So, uh, Chris, turning to more things uh, personal, uh, you were, before being the CEO and co-founder of Ellenvite, you were a, a venture partner at Finleap. So was, and Finleap obviously one of the biggest investors in Ellenvar. So was it kind of a spin-off? How did, uh, how did Ellenvar kind of come about and your co-founding of it happen? Yeah. Yeah, so Finip was um, founded as a company builder for fintech startups. So the core idea was developing and executing business models in the fintech space. So when I started at Finip, for example, I helped building Solaris Bank as a business model and also some others. Um, and then um, 
on the, at the same time for me, the reason why I joined Finleap was actually that over time I wanted to do something my, myself. And before joining Finleap, I, work, I had a very traditional banking industry career. So I thought, okay, it's interesting for me to learn more about building companies. So not the industry expertise, but also like how to build a company in itself. Um, so after helping on some business models like the Solaris Bank, I felt that, okay, now let's look at business models, which might be interesting for myself. Um, basically, at the same time, we were discussing um, with Ampega about potential business model in the wealth tax space. And um, so the idea of Elinvar came together. And then Marco, who back then was the CFO of, of Finleap, and I said, okay, if we execute this business model, the two of us would be interesting to join as the founding team. And then we uh, got to know Sebastian, who back then originally intended to join Finleap as a CTO in residence. So again, supporting different businesses and then uh, deciding which one to join. And we basically told Sebastian, okay, skip this uh, in residence part and directly join us at Elinvar. The three of us uh, spent a lot of time together working on the idea, fine-tuning the details. And that's basically how we then um, came up as a founding team of Elinvar. I would not use the word um, spin-off because spin-off, from my perspective, um, more uh, is linked to a company which is founded within a group and then um, uh, the, the company uh, decides to split or to spin off a certain part of the business. In Philip's case, from day one, it was always intention to build companies and found companies. So we were one of the, these companies with one big difference. Uh, in our case, Finleap was not the only institutional on day one, but Ampega was directly joining. So we basically had Ampega, Finleap and the team as the three major shareholders on day one. Wow. So that's in marked contrast to the way most many fintechs are, are, are founded. You know, many we speak to on the show here, they had well-paid jobs. You know, they had to make take a really big gamble, a big risk uh, to yeah. make this take this leap into the unknown. Um, so I guess sliding into it from, you know, your position at Finleap, having these big investors, anchor investors from day one, that must have uh, taken some of the pressure off, surely. I would say not under pressure because as always in life, there's like pros and cons. <laughs> so yes, the benefit definitely is on day one already, for example, you pay yourself a salary. So it's helpful that there is a salary, uh, whereas, um, um, other founders who really do the traditional bootstrap way, uh, like for example, I think Thomas was on the podcast and uh, from Raisin, and I have a lot of respect uh, for him and all his co-founders, but and also everyone who who executed the same way than they did, um, because yes, it's a different risk profile. On the other hand, um, if you take institutional money on day one, basically just based on the PowerPoint already, it always com also comes with the responsibility that you have to manage this money accordingly. And that obviously um, on day one, you already have another stakeholder on the table with the respective, um, with certain um, expectations and rightfully so because they invested millions of euros already. Um, and that uh, comes with a different kind of pressure. So therefore I would say everything has pros and cons. For our business model, I would again go for, some, uh, for a comparable way because um, for us, it was very clear that we want to be a B2B solution provider for fully regulated businesses. So we basically asked established players like, for example, Warburg or Donner or DKB or others to outsource significant core, a significant core of their business to our platform. 
And um, in this context, context, it was obviously very helpful that uh, we were not only a team of um, experienced co-founders, but we also had the institutional backing and that helped us to um, secure the trust already in the very, very early days. Um, before, because, for example, our first clients took the decision to work with us before we have been licensed. Uh, so there was also a certain client risk. And in this context for this business model, I think it was very helpful that we had these institutional partners already on the first days. And now you're a fully paid up uh, entrepreneur, uh, being the co-founder of a, of a fintech. I mean, did you show any signs of uh, wanting to be an entrepreneur to run your own business when you were, were growing up? Was it something that ran in the family, maybe? Was it, were you kind of, you know, selling things to your schoolmates at school? Um, so I would say at least I grow up with the, uh, seeing the strong benefits of um, taking decisions and being um, responsible by yourself. So my father has his own company. Uh, so yes, you could argue that there is like a certain role model. On the other hand, uh, during the first 15, 16 years of my career, I was working in a very traditional way in the bank, in, a, in the banking industry. Um, I think for me, the biggest driver for really um, going for my own business and uh, really the key thing that motivated me was um, I started at Deutsche Bank, a super large organization, and I really enjoyed working there. All good. But I also um, learned the hard way that basically for every decision, there are experts. The benefit of this is you can ask them. The disadvantage is you have to ask them. Then I had the opportunity working for a smaller private bank here in Berlin, Weberbank back then, um, and also today a very successful private bank here in the region. Um, and in this smaller organization, I actually learned the benefit um, of being in a much, much, much smaller team working in a more agile way. Yes, you had the challenge that uh, there were less experts to ask. So when you wanted to have uh, answer a specific question, you had to find out about it yourself. But the benefit was, in the end, it was a very small team and this small team was able to decide everything. And that was something I really enjoyed. So taking the responsibility for decisions, being able to decide fast and being able to execute basically on your own uh, hypothesis. At the same time, um, I saw the strong shifts digitalization brings and I thought, okay, this is actually the best time to found your own business because you have like this really industry reshaping driver of digitalization. Um, and at the same time, I saw the benefits of, work in, of working in smaller agile organizations. And that's something I really enjoyed and said, okay, I want to use this opportunity and want to look if there's a business model I can really bring um, to, to the start. And that's something I never regretted. So whatever else might come out of this, it's definitely a great, great endeavor and something I really enjoyed um, as a challenge and also something as a learning opportunity. And, and forgive me, your, your father's company, what, what was it he did or does? It's, it's a small company, did, uh, or let's say still do it, but in a small, very small level. It's a small company focusing on real estate um, so completely different industry, uh, small company, but always enjoying the benefits of being self-employed and his own master, basically. And you used to help out maybe as a, as a kid? Not so much in this company, but where I definitely helped out was uh, I, from my early days, I was, was exposed to a lot of sales training. So my father's background is also in sales. That's something I always enjoyed. And I basically had to negotiate everything from day one. And always uh, have been used to uh, how do you do sales? 
And uh, so you're negotiating with your father. Uh, what um, did, did you come out on top? Things like, for things like, for example, uh, pocket money. Then I, uh, then we uh, we negotiated that. Then we negotiated about how much uh, money do I get for certain grades at school. Uh, so whenever there was an opportunity to negotiate something, we basically negotiated it. And also with like, what are the upsides and what are the downsides so that you have different incentive schemes. Uh, always used to negotiate things. When he was buying a new car, he, t he, he uh, brought me with him to see, okay, how do you do the negotiation? So whenever it's about buying or selling something, I was involved from the early days, early days in how do you negotiate that. So you're now an expert haggler? Not an expert, but at least I have quite some years of training. Whether this is like paying off is for others to be decided. Oh, I'm sure it comes in handy when you're uh, you know, going in front of investors and, uh, and the like. Um, but look, uh, Chris, we've just got one question more, which is what I ask uh, all the founders and CEOs that, that come on the FN Tech podcast. And the question is this. Uh, what is the weirdest or craziest thing you've ever built or done in your life? So I, I would say for myself, uh, being self-reflected, I'm not as crazy or weird as uh, some others might be. Um, that's, uh, therefore, let's phrase it slightly different. Uh, the biggest, the biggest life-changing decision in my life and something I never, never regretted, but rather the opposite, completely enjoy, I'm super happy about, um, and can, uh, would always suggest to everyone is uh, becoming a father. Uh, and um, therefore, I think it's not something I did very uh, completely differently but it's something which definitely changed my life and a lot of uh, and my perception about life quite a lot and I think that's something everybody obviously needs to evaluate whether they want to become parents or not but it's definitely for me one of the most important decisions and one of the ones I'm really happy about I have to say there's only two people that have answered that question uh, and used their children in their answer and they're both German uh, so that's you <laughs> and uh, Christoph uh, Riecher from uh, Iwaka. So uh, maybe there's something uh, there that uh, you Germans don't do too crazy things, but uh, you think your, your, your kids... No, are, for me it's uh, like, I don't, I don't know if you, are, uh, if you have kids, but I will never forget um, when my uh, first daughter was born, I basically felt like we have just won the world championship and I'm the only one knowing. So for everyone else, life was still the same, but for me it was completely different. And therefore, when I think about life-changing moments... Uh, definitely becoming a father is like the most life-changing moment or has been the most life-changing moment for me. Sure. Well, there's no question, uh, I think, that it that changes a lot of people's lives, I'm uh, as I know it did for me and, uh, and I'm sure many people listening as well. But um, And by the way, it should never hold you back from founding a company. So maybe one sentence, because sometimes people ask me about that. Um, some people ask whether... Um, it's a good idea to bring together having a family and founding a company because of the perceived risk. I would always argue that every decision you take in life is a risk and uh, that also includes like sticking in an industry under a lot of change in a traditional job. Uh, so therefore, um, if you wonder about uh, joining a startup or founding a startup yourself, whether you uh, have kids or not, just do it anyway because um, the risk you, which comes with every decision is independent of that. And uh, there's also a lot of opportunities coming with it and a lot of positive also for family life. So just go for it. 
What a lovely note to finish on. It's very, very family-oriented to a podcast, but uh, <laughs> we are out of time. So uh, Chris Bartz, co-founder and CEO of Elinvar, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us here on the FNTech podcast. You're welcome. You know, if there's one thing most fintech founders have in common, it's experience. Whether it's in banking, accountancy, business or anything else, everything they do can be learned from and in some way applied to their entrepreneurial journey. For Chris Bartz, it was working for banks, big and small, and then Finleap. But you can be sure that one of his most valuable lessons was negotiating with his dad, though he never did say who came out on top. So thank you, Chris Bartz, and thank you for listening to the FinTech podcast with me, Elliot Gotkin, now part of the Paris FinTech Forum Communities Programme. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can get updates and listen to all previous episodes via the website, www.parisfintechforum.com. If you've got any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can find us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Paris Fin Forum or at Elliot Gottkin. That's it from me. Thanks again to BPI France for sponsoring this podcast. We'll be back again next week for more of the best F in tech. Hope you'll join us again then. Bye-bye.